The other night, I was, we were driving home from, I was going to say McAllister's, but McAllister's was last night, so it wasn't McAllister's, it was somewhere else, and uh, we were in our neighborhood, and in one of our neighbor's yards, he has what is called a burning bush. I sent a picture of a burning bush, or at least that's what Google said a burning bush was. Uh, as you can see, it's red. And I commented to Sally, hey, we used to have a, a burning bush in our yard. And, and this is what they look like in full bloom. They start off green and then they turn red. And she said, but, but we ended up getting rid of ours. And she said, yeah, but it quit burning. It didn't burn anymore. It just was always green. And so through that, I felt led and compelled to the story of Moses and his burning bush experience. And so, Exodus 3, I'm going to read a portion of that to you really soon. Um, but I just want to give you a super quick background on Moses, because some of you, sometimes in church we take for granted that everybody um, went to, you know, grew up in church and was drugged to church whether they wanted to go or not every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Um, and I know that wasn't all of your experience, but it was much of mine. I'm just telling the truth. And uh, eventually I began to appreciate it, right, as I actually did get saved and become a follower of Jesus. Uh, but anyway, I just want to give you a quick background on Moses. Um, okay, so, so um, everybody remember the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors? Okay, so Joseph is sold by his brothers because he's the favorite, and he likes to talk about how he's the favorite and likes to tell his brothers his dreams about how he's going to lord over them someday. Well, so anyway, so they plot to kill him, and that is, one of the brothers is like, no, we can't kill him. Let's, long story short, they end up selling him to some traveling um, people who are traveling by. Um, and so, really long story, but the whole house of Jacob ends up in Egypt, um, as Joseph becomes second to Pharaoh, and, and um, they have favor. But then eventually, Joseph dies, and then that Pharaoh dies. And the new Pharaoh, Scripture says, doesn't remember Joseph and, and, and starts to get scared because the Israelites are beginning to outnumber the Egyptians. Uh, you can find all of this in Exodus 1 and 2. I just didn't want to read that all to you. Um, and so that Pharaoh decided to make them slaves and to make them um, build cities. Uh, scripture tells us that he made their life miserable, but they still kept growing in number. And so Pharaoh instructs the midwives, hey, every time an um, Israelite woman has a child and it's male, kill it. Well, the midwives don't do that. Um, they make up some story and tell uh, Pharaoh. So then he sends uh, people in to do that for him. And Moses' mom hides him in this basket, and Scripture tells us how she made it waterproof. And then she puts it in the river, the Nile River, and pushes little Moses off. Can you imagine that? We won't even put kids in a car anymore unless they've got the eight-point harness. And uh, so, so here's little Moses, but she was saving his life, and she was putting him in God's hands, literally. She put him in the river. And honestly, that's what you should do to your kids. Get them to the river. Amen. Amen, 
the river church. Man, that must have been the Holy Spirit because that, whoo, that just came on me. You need to get your kids in baskets into the river church. Uh, what was I talking? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, well, she puts him in the river and she says, tells his sister, hey, follow him, make sure the gators or whatever don't get him. So Moses just happens to come up upon Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, sends somebody, gets the, gets the little baby. And then his little sister runs up. Moses' little sister, who was watching, runs up. He's like, hey, I can, I can find somebody to nurse this baby um, for you. Um, she's like, okay, do it. So she goes and gets her own mom. And Moses' real mom gets to raise her. But then she turns him over to Pharaoh. Then Moses is raised in the king's palace. And then when Moses is 40 years old, he goes to see... It's the first time Scripture tells us that he goes to see his people. He's 40. A few years older than me. And uh, I'm sorry, wrong side, younger. And uh, so he goes to see his people, and he sees that they're being abused and beaten. And he sees this happen, and he goes and he kills this Egyptian uh, slave master, or this guy that's beating these um, Israelites, he kills him and then hides his body in the sand. And then the next day, he's trying to break up a dispute among the Israelites. And they say to him, are you going to kill us too? And so then Moses gets scared. And then the scripture tells us that Pharaoh does find out about it and is trying to kill Moses. And Moses runs to the desert. Okay, so he flees to the desert when he's 40. And then when Exodus, the third chapter, picks up, Moses is 80 years old. So for 40 years, he's been away from Egypt. So let's pick it up there. I gave you a little bit of a backstory about Moses. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Some of your translations might say Horeb. Um, Horeb and Sinai are believed to be the same mountain. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of my people Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. 
Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God at this very mountain. Okay, so this very mountain, this is the same mountain that Moses will eventually get the Ten Commandments from God. But Moses protested. Again, Moses is protesting. Thou protesteth too much. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Amen. This is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture, right? Moses in the burning bush. One of the, if you've ever seen um, the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, this is um, depicted pretty poorly. Now, granted, Back then, they didn't have the CGI that we have now. Um, Disney's cartoon did a little better job uh, with it. But this is a very famous biblical story. And, and I want to look at a few aspects of it. And I've been doing this lately when I preach, just taking a scripture and then pulling some things out. Um, we'll probably I'll probably eventually get back to the, the intro three points and a conclusion, but not today. So I hope you're not counting on that. Um, but I want to pull some things out of this story that, that I, I think are very interesting to me. Moses, the, the people of Israel were, were being persecuted when Moses was 40, right? Moses saw it firsthand. They were being persecuted. But God did not speak to Moses when Moses was in the palace. When Moses had power and position, God didn't speak to him. God waited till Moses got out on the other side of the desert and was 80 years old and didn't have enough money to buy his own sheep because he was watching somebody else's sheep. And that's when God shows up. That's where God speaks. That's where you can find the voice of God. God speaks to and through the weak and powerless most of the time. David's best psalms are those when he's, being, when he's running for his life. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Why? Because he was buried in mud. Couldn't go anywhere. M many of Paul's epistles were written from prison. On the Isle of Patmos is where John was exiled, where he wrote Revelations. There's no S, by the way. <laughs> if you're going to say it, just say the revelation. Anyway, that's just a pet peeve. Uh, God speaks most of the time in places of weakness. 
Because if, if, if Moses had delivered the people when he was a prince, then Moses would have got the glory. Moses would have been the one who was responsible. That's why I don't like to see the church align or tie itself to any entities other than Jesus Christ. Because once the church aligns itself with power, then we lose the voice of God. Once we align ourselves with power and the powerful, then we lose the voice of God. When did, when did the church start getting it wrong? When Constantine got saved. There's nothing wrong with Constantine getting saved. But when, when he made Christianity national religion, and then he made Rome a conduit of Christianity, or the face of Christianity, and then every, every battle Rome went to must have been one of God's battles, and everything Rome did must have been something God wanted done, the church lost its voice. Joseph quit having dreams once he got power. Do you notice that? Once Joseph got, when Joseph got out of prison, when Joseph's in prison, he can interpret dreams, he has dreams, but once he gets into power, the dreams disappear. And you read the end of Joseph's life. He starts taking land from people. He starts taking homes from people. He starts taking things from people because they were hungry and they were willing to sign things over to him. Read the story. God speaks through weakness. Where's God speaking today? Go find somebody wrongly imprisoned. Go to the soup kitchen. Where are the burning bushes at now? Burning bushes are everywhere. Pastor Walker and I, are, every, every bush is on fire, right? God's speaking everywhere. But we become perverted by our power. So that's just one observation. Is that God didn't speak to Moses when Moses had the upper hand. God comes to Moses when Moses doesn't have a prayer. And that should be encouraging to you, some of you this morning. Some of you feel like you don't have a prayer. Some of you feel like you're up against a bad situation. Some of you feel like the odds are stacked against you. Guess what? God told Moses, I'm with you. And guess what? God's with you too. You don't have to be afraid. Just because you're facing an impossible situation, God is still on your side. Amen. Amen. God shows up to the weak. So where is God speaking? He's probably not on the floor of the UN. He's probably not in the Kremlin. And I know some of you, this is just going to break your hearts. He's probably not in the White House. He's at the soup kitchens. He's at the homeless shelters. He's at the YWCA. He's at the noise home. He's wherever people are hurting. That's where God is. God doesn't align himself with people who think they're powerful and who can exact judgment over people and who can point their finger at people and who can... God doesn't align himself with that. Don't think that he does. Okay. That's the first thing I want to take out of, that, out of this story. Secondly, is that Moses is not an ultra-successful man. 
Moses is 80 years old, like I said. His first 40 years lived in a palace. Now he's in a desert, married one of Jethro's children. This is Jethro's daughter. He now has two sons. But Moses is tending someone else's sheep. And God calls him to be the great deliverer. God's not looking for, for you. God is not looking for billionaires. God's not looking for people who have it all together. God's not looking for someone who has it all figured out on their own. God's looking for someone who, like Moses, will say, here am I. That was the number one qualification for Moses. I'm here. And that's what God wants out of you. God doesn't care how, what you own, how much money you have, how successful you are, how many sales you have, uh, whatever your job is. If it's me, he doesn't care how many packages you can deliver in an hour. But he does care about if you're available to him. Will you say yes? And Moses said, here I am. God, I don't have a lot. I'm watching my father-in-law's sheep. Luckily, my father-in-law's to help him take care of me. I don't have a lot, but I'm here. Now, you'll hear people say, oh, Moses was a millionaire. Moses had all kinds of things. I don't see that here. I think he would have hired someone else to watch his sheep. This is not some lofty uh, profession that, that Moses is. Moses is not an ultra-successful person, but he's willing and he's available. You know, by now, in my, like I talked about age a little bit ago, I'll be turning 45 sometime in the near future. And I, as a young person, I thought by now that I would be a millionaire, of course, and that I would, you know, go to the garage and think, oh, am I going to take the Porsche today? Am I going to take the Lambo? Am I going to take the Ferrari Testarossa? 1988 white, that they, the one they used in Miami Vice. Is that, is that what I'm going to drive today? But I'm here to tell you that it hasn't happened. Sometimes we don't <laughs> aspire to everything that we thought we were going to. I don't know what Moses thought he'd be doing when he was 80, but I don't know if it was being a sheep herder in the middle of the night. But he was, and God still used him. God still spoke to him. So whether or not you think your life, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting choked up thinking about that testarossa. <clears throat> <clears throat> whether or not you think your life has been a failure, or whether you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish or not, God's not interested in that. God's interested in where you are right now. And will you say yes to him right now? Amen. 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 I, I want to say yes. God says, Moses, Moses. And God, God does this several times to different people. He'll call Moses by his name twice. He calls Samuel by his name twice. He calls Paul, who initially was Saul, by his name twice. God does this to get our attention. And he will call you by name twice if you will listen, if you will pay attention. Moses didn't think he was qualified to do anything for God. He said, who am I? He said, here I am, but then he said, but who am I? And that's where we find ourselves sometime. So thirdly, I want to tell you what I get from this story. You are never too old. You're never too old. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell on Richard. He's not here this morning. Um, Richard was 
um, at the ER the other night, and I went and was sitting with him and Jane, and he was talking to us, and we were just talking about things, and he just said, I don't want to get old. He said, I don't mind getting, he said, I don't mind getting old, but I don't want to get old. He said, I still want to do things for God. He said, he, he said, these are his exact words. I still want to play drums in my church. I still want to do this. I still want to do that. And, and I thought, when I, when I was preparing this, I thought, as long as you have breath, you're not too old for God. Amen? God has a purpose. Nobody in here is as old as Moses was. <clears throat> you're never too old. If you still have breath, God can use you. You are never too old. So old people, or I'm sorry, that was really insensitive. Oh my goodness. So to our wiser population among us, you are needed, but don't be afraid to learn new tricks. Don't be afraid of a new move of God. Don't be afraid of God doing things a little bit different. Don't be afraid of this new move that God is doing. Because another thing I want to notice from the story is that Moses doesn't dig that bush up and take it with him. We never see this happen again, ever. There is never another burning bush. We will see tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. But we never see this again. Just because God spoke one way, one time, doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way every time. I can take you in 2005, I was kneeling at this altar. Donnie McGlerklin's um, Only You Are Holy was playing uh, through the sound system. And God spoke to me in a way that I have never had God speak to me ever before. And I've tried to recreate that a bunch of times. <laughs> and it's never happened. God spoke to me powerfully that day. God spoke to me in a powerful way, almost audibly. I mean, I don't, I, 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 I don't want to quite go that far, but I mean, in a way that I've never felt before or since. And I've tried to recreate it. I've looked it up on YouTube and I play it and I'm like, okay, Lord, here I am. Okay, let's come on. Come on now. It doesn't work. God is a living God. When I speak to my wife or to my son or to my daughters, I don't do it the same way every time. I don't say, okay, oh, you want to talk? Let's go sit in here. I have to sit in my recliner. It's the only place where I can have conversation. But yeah, we treat God that way. God is living. He's a living God. He's alive. Amen. God will speak different ways to different people. Be open to it. Don't if somebody comes to you and is like, oh, I felt the Lord, don't, don't throw it away and say, well, God never spoke to me that way. Sorry. Now, if he tells them, you know, oh, God told me he's going to send a, a spaceship to pick me up, well, counsel them. God's not telling them that. But, but, but to the older generation, just understand this thing that God's doing. Now is different. And we're, we're dealing with this as a church. God's not dealing, you know, the, sometimes the traditional models don't work. So we're, we're trying to figure that out. So God is working and God is speaking, but it's not always the way that he has always done. Moses doesn't take the burning bush with him. 
Now, I will say that, however, God doesn't speak the same way all the time. He does say, remember this mountain. Remember this mountain. Remember this place. You will come back to this place. And that's where I believe that the church comes in. God speaks to people through his church. It is the vessel that God has chosen through this world. God speaks to the world through his church. Yes, many churches get it wrong. And sometimes, you're not going to want to hear this, sometimes the river church has gotten it wrong. I'm just being transparent with you that sometimes Walker gets it wrong. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Sorry, I've been sitting on that joke for a week. The other one was... But this is the chosen, not, our, not the river church, is not God's chosen church. I'm not saying that. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is where he speaks. Remember that. Remember, return to the mountain where he speaks to you. Keep coming back to the mountain where he speaks to you. Keep coming back to the mountain where he speaks to you. It's not always going to be with a burning bush. It's not always going to be through a song. or It's not always going to be through the preacher. But God will keep speaking to you if you keep coming back to the mountain. That's why the church is so important. It's bigger than one believer. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. I already talked a little bit about this. It's, it's, it's us coming together, bearing up one another, loving one another, being there for one another. It's you coming to me saying, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this, and me coming up beside you. It's somebody coming and saying, look, I'm struggling. I can't afford my lights are about to get off, shut off or whatever. The church, all of us coming together, everybody doing a little bit to help. It's bearing one another's burdens. That's what God has called us to do. God intends to speak through his church. That's what churches are for. Amen. Don't sleep on the church. God's not finished with her yet. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ will rise from the ashes of whatever's going on right now. Of, from the ashes of evangelicism imploding upon itself. Where we have gotten it wrong. Where we have put men and structures above God and people. But I believe that God is raising up a church. I believe that we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, will rise, but not with political aspirations and with power aspirations, but with healing in our wings, because that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring healing where there is um, injury. We're called to bring hope where there is none. We're called to bring peace where there is conflict. The church will rise, I believe. Amen? I have to believe that. I have to hope for that. I believe she will. I believe that God is doing something in the church. Not just our church, in the church overall. The world is experiencing revival. I, I talked to you last week about China. How from 1949 to 2019, went from 1 million to 100 million. The greatest revival the world has ever seen. 
came under the hands of a communist country. What are we going to do if so-and-so gets elected? (laughs) The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to thrive and survive no matter what. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is not in any politician. It is not in any flawed man. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God raised up one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If, if I was very young, I'd run out there with my hanky and sit down and start waving and saying, that's good preaching, brother. <laughs> the church, I believe, is going to rise up. But it's not going to be um, on the wings of a donkey or an elephant. It's going to be on the lamb. Slain before the foundations of the world. Amen. I'm so tired of politics. But you know what I'm more tired of? Is the church muddy in her hands and what she has no business doing. We're called to a higher plane. We are called. Okay. That's not in my notes. That's free preaching right there. Okay. I believe that the church will rise. I also take from this that God sees the oppressed. God sees the oppressed. He sees those of us. He sees us in our trials. He sees you at the doctor's office. He sees you struggling to pay bills. He sees you in pain. Sees you when you can't sleep because you're so worried about something. He sees you praying for your kids and your grandkids. He sees you crying because you don't know which way to turn. He sees you when you want to give up. He sees you when you are tired of the fight. He sees you when you feel like you can't go on anymore. He sees you and he hears you. You are not forgotten. He has not lost your address. He has not forgotten your name. God sees you and he hears you. And he has not forgotten you. And like Walker said earlier, he has the final say. He gets the final word. And when he's done speaking everything he's going to say about you, you will say, God is good. Amen? Amen. No matter what it looks like now, no matter what you're going through, no matter what trials are, life is rough sometimes. Life stinks sometimes. But Jesus is with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, is what he promises. He knows your name. He sees you. Amen. He also sees the oppressor as well. People who mistreat others from a position of power, he sees that. Nations who use their power to mistreat and manipulate the weak, he sees that. Judgment is coming. I've been teasing that that message for a long time. I'm not preaching that today, but I'm going to preach to you about the judgment of God soon. But God sees and he knows. He sees the oppressed and he sees the oppressor. All right. And the last thing I want to take out of this, I think it's the last thing. Let me scroll through my notes. Yeah, it's the last thing. Should be happy. Wow, it's 11.18 already. Man. I'm sorry. I promise I'll have you home for my homes. Now there's a place to say Amen. Let me tell you what, you think you've got it bad. I'm just kidding. 
If the Lord, I mean, think about where we thought we were. Is the camera on? Never mind. I better not go down this road. <laughs> How bad it looked that night in Denver when Mahomes was motionless on the pile. <laughs> but we came together as a church and we prayed. <laughs> oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. Sorry to my Raiders friends. I'm sorry. Oh, brother, I'm sorry. But you know what? It's all right to have fun in church. It is. It's a good thing it is. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to go to a church where you can't laugh and you can't have fun. I think God has a sense of humor. I mean, look who's standing up here right now. <laughs> he must have a sense of humor. You people actually are sitting out there letting me talk. God must have a sense of humor. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Judgment's coming. Yeah. Probably to me now. Um, this is the final thing I want to pull out of this story. And there's so much. As I was doing this, I thought, oh, man, I want to talk, and maybe I'll do this someday, about how Jesus overcame all the plagues of Egypt, and the last one to overcome was the death angel, how the Jesus, but anyway, I'm not going to do it, but I thought that would be fun to, to, to go through. Um, the last thing I want to pull out of the story today is God says, this is my name. My eternal name is I am. I am, not I was, not I will be, but I am. In Revelation, when Jesus reveals himself, he says, I am the one who is, the one, then he says, the one who died, and the one who's coming again. But he says, first, I'm the one who is. I am. I believe Pastor Sharon has talked about this lots. How that, is that the perfect present tense? The progressive tense, I am, it means it shows motion, it shows doing, it shows, it's, the word is what, B, it's the progressive? Continuing yes, thank you. This is tag team right here. Uh, but I am, whatever, whatever situation you're in, I'm the answer. Whatever you're going through, I am the solution. I am the answer. I'm the solution. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And then the first scripture that I read to you from John chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. The same God who sent Moses when his children were in slavery when he wants to come and destroy sin and the bondage of sin, he comes himself. Amen. He sends Moses to get the children of Israel out of slavery, but when he wants to destroy sin and death and break the shackles of, and chains of slavery and sin off of your life, he shows up himself. Amen. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And God shows up, takes on the form of man, and delivers us from our sins takes on our sins, takes the sin of the world upon him. And in doing that, he comes, he shows up to save us from our sins. We kill him, and he forgives us while we're doing it. 
He frees us while we're killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel. But when he wanted to save the world, he came and did it himself. He sent Moses for his chosen people. But when he wanted to set the world free of sin, he came and did it himself. And that's what he did. He took on the form of a man. The writer of Hebrews tells us he was tempted in the same way that we were all tempted. Everything that you've ever been through, every temptation, every trial, every struggle, it was laid on him. Jesus took, I, I, I don't want to say it that way, Jesus took it on himself. He says, nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down. That's what he told Pilate. He's like, you can't take my life from me. I'm laying it down. I'm taking this on. And he takes it on. He takes on your sin, my sin, the sins of the world. And then he offers his body as a sacrifice. He says, this is my body. Broken for you. He lets his body be broken. He says, this is my blood. Poured out for you. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. We're going to take communion.